Good morning, everyone. This is Austin Smith, and you are listening to Poets Table on WDRT out of Viroqua. I'm really excited about our show this morning. I'll be presenting to you the work and life of the great Indiana poet Jared Carter, one of my very favorite poets, and I think one of our great voices, not only in in terms of the Midwest and regional literature, but in terms of our national poetic tradition. Jared Carter was born in Indiana. He went on to uh, receive an education at Yale University and Goddard College. He published his first collection of poems with the wonderful title, Work for the Night is Coming, in 1981. And he was 41 when he published his first book, which is, I think, inspirational for those of us who might be getting a little bit on in years and have yet to have our first book out. He was uh, really a poet who stayed close to home. He's lived in Indianapolis, in the Indianapolis region, his entire life. And Carter, I think, is one of those poets who really has um, kind of snuck under the radar in American poetry. And it's been um, a pleasure to see him receive a little bit more attention recently with the selection uh, by the poet Ted Kuzer, who we heard uh, about last week on this show. Ted Kuzer selected Jerry Carter's collected poems, Darkened Rooms of Summer, for a series out of the University of Nebraska Press in 2014. If you're looking for a good place to start with Jerry Carter, I would recommend picking up his book, Darkened Rooms of Summer, New and Selected Poems, again, from the University of Nebraska Press, published in 2014. So today I'm going to share with you two uh, poems by Jerry Carter. I wish I could share two books by him. That's how much I admire his work. Um, The first poem that we're going to consider is a poem called Geodes. Geodes being uh, a geological term for rocks with a kind of crystalline structure. And this poem, if you'd like to follow along, is available online at poets.org. So if you search for poets.org, Jared Carter, Geodes, you'll be able to find this poem. And if you bring it up, you'll see that the poem is written in couplets, which are stanzas of two lines each. Sometimes couplets will rhyme, but in this instance, um, the couplets are unrhymed. And we can talk a little bit about the form of this poem and maybe some of the reasons why Carter might have chosen this particular form. I'll read the poem twice as always, uh, so that those of you who aren't able to bring up the poem and follow along can hear it and, and follow it. I know it's difficult to, uh, to get the gist of a poem on just one reading. So again, Geodes by the Indiana poet Jerry Carter. They are useless. There is nothing to be done with them. No reason. Only the finding. Letting myself down holding to ironwood in the dry bristle of roots, into the creek bed, into clear water shelved below the outcroppings, where crawdads spurt through silt, clawing them out of clay, scrubbing away the sand, setting them in a shaft of light to dry. Sweat clings in the cliff's downdraft. I take each one up like a safe cracker listening for the lapse within, the moment crystal turns on crystal. It is all waiting there in darkness. 
I want to know only that things gather themselves with great patience, that they do this forever. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how I feel this poem might qualify as an Ars Poetica. An Ars Poetica is a poem about poetry. And uh, we can talk a little bit about how this might qualify as a poem of that form. But first, let's hear the poem one more time. Again, Geodes by Jared Carter. They are useless. There is nothing to be done with them. No reason, only the finding. Letting myself down holding to ironwood and the dry bristle of roots into the creek bed, into clear water shelved below the outcroppings where crawdads spurt through silt, plying them out of clay, scrubbing away the sand, setting them in a shaft of light to dry. Sweat clings in the cliff's downdraft. I take each one up like a safecracker listening for the lapse within, the moment crystal turns on crystal. It is all waiting there in darkness. I want to know only that things gather themselves with great patience, that they do this forever. So as we always do, we're going to work through the poem sort of line by line and see what we can find. We notice this poem begins with the line, they are useless, there is nothing. It's a very uh, nihilistic beginning to a poem, and it's an interesting risk, right, to tell the poet, or to tell the reader, I should say, that uh, the title of the poem, Geodes, are useless, there is nothing. And almost as if it's, it's saying, you know, there's there's no purpose to me writing this poem about these, these rocks, necessarily. There's nothing to be done with them, no reason. But then at the end of the second line, we get the word only, and we get the sense the poet is about to suggest that, yeah, of course, there is a reason for these rocks and for this poem, period. Only the finding, Carter writes. It is the finding of the geodes that is what is significant. You might say it's the journey and not the end of the journey kind of idea. It's the process of looking for them that is most significant. The poet describes letting himself down, holding to ironwood and the dry bristle of roots into the creek bed, geodes being rocks that we would find in the creek bed um, of Midwestern streams, probably in southern Indiana. There's this idea here of clear water and the sense that one is kind of entering a place that is almost magical. Where crawdads live, they spurt through silt, and the poet describes clawing these geodes out of clay, scrubbing away the sand, setting them in a shaft of light in a, what I find to be an almost reverential way. Um, there's a sense in which the poet is kind of resurrecting these buried and sunken rocks, right? Sweat clings in the cliff's downdraft, we're, we're told. And um, each one is taken up like a safe cracker. I'm interested in this idea of the safe cracker. Um, each one is taken up like a safe cracker listening for the lapse within. It took me a minute to figure out what a safe cracker was. I think it First, I thought it was some kind of firecracker, but a safecracker, it turns out, is actually someone who cracks a safe open, someone adept at picking locks. 
So the poet is likening himself to a safe cracker, someone who can break through, break in to something that's locked and therefore um, maybe acquire some kind of wealth or some kind of treasure that is hidden within. I really like this idea of the poet listening for the lapse within, the moment crystal turns on crystal. That's just in a really strange um, image because we think of geodes as, of course, being so old and this process of crystallization taking millennia. And here the poet is almost outside time, able to hear the moment that crystal turns on crystal. I almost see it as like the, um, the very intricate workings of a lock or a clock. The poet tells us it is all waiting there in darkness. And then there's this wonderful leap, and there's this really incredible ending, which is so different from the beginning of the poem in which we are told they are useless, there is nothing, right? At the end of the poem, we're told, I want to know only that things gather themselves with great patience, that they do this forever. Something here about patience, about work, and something, too, about what the poet can maybe learn from geological processes. Um, I think about this a lot in the Driftless region, of course, with our unique geological history. There's a sense that you get of long time living in a place like this, and the poet is getting some kind of encouragement or inspiration from the fact that things gather themselves with great patience and that they do so forever. And it's the finding of these geodes um, in this creek bed that reminds the poet of this fact, which I think is really, really wonderful. It also seems to me that the poem is itself a kind of geode. Um, it's kind of acquired or assumed the shape on the page through the patience of the poet. And so the poem itself almost has a geode-like quality to it. There's not a single word or even a mark of punctuation that I think could be lost from this poem without losing something significant in its meaning and its uh, tone. So this is Geodes by Jared Carter, and I hope that you enjoy this poem as much as I have enjoyed it over the years. I continue to return to it. As I said at the beginning, I think it is a sort of ars poetica in that it, to me, describes what we might describe poems as being, right? Useless, nothing to be done with them, but the finding of them and the, the quality that they remind us of in their particular um, patience and the way in which they come into being through the poet's work are inspirations and therefore are worth seeking out. So you might see the word poems in the word geodes in this particular poem, again, by Jared Carter, who we're talking about today on Poets Table on WDRT in Viroqua. This show is really uh, an opportunity for <laughs> me to share with you some of my favorite poets. Uh, each half-hour program, I will share with you one great poet who whose work I feel is worth seeking out. And today we're talking about the Indiana poet, Jared Carter. As I mentioned before, uh, Jared Carter is the author of many collections, including After the Rain, Cross This Bridge at a Walk, A Dance in the Street, and a book that gathered up 
his greatest poems, Darkened Rooms of Summer. Derek Carter, in his work, has created a kind of fictional county, uh, a la William Faulkner, Wendell Berry, writers who work out of a kind of particular mythical geography. And I'm not even going to hazard to uh, try to pronounce the name of the county that Jared Carter has invented. It starts with an M. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's really interesting in that many of his poems are rooted in this kind of mythical county that he's invented that um, we are... We're, we are made to assume take, is, is actually in southern Indiana, somewhere around Indianapolis or south of Indianapolis. Um, and I think that this move that he makes to place his poems and his characters in this mythical county that, again, I can't pronounce, but um, if you're interested, I'm sure you can seek out, is uh, it allows him, I think, to create a really magical, wondrous world um, in a place that we might think of or others might think of uh, as somewhat ordinary or prosaic. So it, it uh, kind of introduces a kind of mystical, mythical quality to his poetry. The next poem we're going to look at by Jared Carter is probably my favorite poem of his and perhaps one of my very favorite poems, period. This is a poem called Landing the Bees. You may be able to find it online if you search Landing the Bees by Jared Carter. I'm going to read the poem twice as usual, and then we'll work our way through it. Landing the Bees. First the bow of the apple bending, neighbors calling to one another in their watery voices, none venturing close to the glittering branch. They make way for the old bee man in his felt hat, who spreads a sheet on the grass, a white sheet from his own bed, and with a pocket mirror casts the sun's image up into the swarm. If you have walked in sleep, you know this movement out through air, through blossoming, down to a new place, drawn by a brilliance in the leaves and folded into whiteness. He takes them up as though carrying coals. If you have wakened, arms outstretched, you know this moment. Things rising of their own accord are beckoning to themselves. It is your own voice murmuring. This poem, if you're not looking at it on the page, is written in what we call tercets, which are stanzas of three lines each. So the poem we looked at before, Geodes, was written in couplets, stanzas of two lines each. This poem also has a kind of symmetrical, uh, formal quality to it with the consistent stanza length. I'll read it one more time. Landing the Bees is the title. The poet is Jared Carter, and we'll talk a little bit about what exactly is being described here once I've read the poem a second time. Landing the Bees. First, the bow of the apple bending, neighbors calling to one another in their watery voices, none venturing close to the glittering branch. They make way for the old bee man in his felt hat, who spreads a sheet on the grass, a white sheet from his own bed, and with a pocket mirror, casts the sun's image up into the swarm. If you have walked in sleep, you know this movement out through air, through blossoming, down to a new place, drawn by a brilliance in the leaves 
and folded into whiteness. He takes them up as though carrying coals. If you have wakened, arms outstretched, you know this moment. Things rising of their own accord are beckoning to themselves. It is your own voice murmuring. Like a lot of Carter's poems, this poem harkens back to an older time. There's a poem by Carter in which he describes people laying brick in the street when he was a kid in southern Indiana. This poem describes a kind of um, a bee man, basically someone who knows bees and knows how to, it seems like in this poem, capture a wild hive for honey-making purposes. So the poem begins not in the perspective of the bee man himself, but in this very oblique way with the bow of the apple bending. So we get a sense of the result of these, this beehive before we even see the bees. Neighbors calling to one another in their watery voices. That's such an interesting word, adjective, to describe voices, right? One gets a sense that we're in a poem that we're eventually going to become somnambulant in, uh, that we're almost underwater from the, from the jump, if you will. Nobody wants to venture close to the glittering branch, another lovely adjective. Uh, I see honey, I see the kind of glittering quality of swarming bees. So there's something that is occurring here that they feel un incapable of handling, and so they make way for the old bee man in his felt hat who spreads a sheet on the grass. And here we're just simply observing with the neighbors. We're almost amongst the crowd, right, as the poet might have been, watching this old man spread a sheet from his own bed. And again, in a poem about sleepwalking, I think this is very significant. It's almost as if it's not going to work unless the sheet is from his own bed. And then he takes this pocket mirror and he casts the sun's image up into the swarm. So what he's doing here is some trickery. And so I would almost argue that this poem is also an Ars Poetica, that the same way that the geodes, um, to me, resemble what we might think of as poems in their slow accrual and their slow building. The bee man to me represents the poet. He has the capacity to do something kind of wondrous that the rest of the community needs him to do. Um, and so he is called in this moment when danger could tip over into sweetness, basically an annoyance the nest of bees in the apple tree could be used for honey. <laughs> um, so there's this really interesting turn in the poem. It's exactly halfway through the poem where we're told if we have walked in sleep, we know this movement out through air. So now we're in the point of view of the bees actually. Through blossoming down to a new place, drawn by a brilliance in the leaves and folded into whiteness. So if we have ever had the experience of sleepwalking or lucid dreaming or ever um, had the sensation of being sort of half awake, half asleep, as all of us have, we know what it feels like to be drawn almost against our will through air, through blossoming, down to a new place, drawn by a brilliance in the leaves, and folded into whiteness. 
folded into this kind of foggy netherworld, right? Then we're back in the perspective of the bee man. He takes them up as though carrying coals. It's another old image, I feel like, from another time when one might have carried hot coals between fires. Um, and it's exactly right as a, as a simile. These bees are dangerous still and have the capacity to sting, but there's also something life-giving about them, fire, honey. In other words, the risk is worth the reward. We're told to imagine yet again, if you have wakened with arms outstretched, you know this moment, just in the same way as earlier we knew this movement. Things rising of their own accord are beckoning to themselves. It is your own voice murmuring. So now we're in the point of view of the bee man holding this sheet of bees out from himself at arm's length. And he is kind of sleepwalking these bees to another place where they will perhaps build their hive and be in a situation that is more um, maybe less dangerous for the neighbors and also, as I've said, um, maybe allows the bees to produce the honey that the bee man, I imagine, wants them to. Um, so this poem, Landing the Bees, is in many ways uh, this wonderful metaphor for what it feels like to be between sleep and wakefulness. And we get this feeling in this poem that we are both the bees being drawn by this reflection of the sun in the hand mirror through blossoming down into the earth. And we are the old bee man walking with this, his own bed sheet, uh, which wraps uh, these bees in it. And he's holding it at arm's length and sort of like someone who might be walking around a house at night, uh, sleepwalking, right? So I think it's just a fantastic poem. Um, it takes a particular task that was from another time and it makes of it a very strange meditation upon what it is to be awake and asleep and sort of in the in-between, right? All right, I think we have time for one more poem by Jared Carter. It's hard to choose which one that I wanna share with you. There, there's so many that are fantastic. I'm going to read a poem called Changing the Front Porch Light for Thanksgiving, also available on the Poetry Foundation website. So if you search Changing the Front Porch Light for Thanksgiving by Jerry Carter, it should bring you to this poem. And I'll read it twice. Or maybe once, <laughs> in the interest of time. So listen carefully. To balance there, again, in the early dark, Three rungs up on the old stepladder, afraid to go any higher, it wobbles so. To reach out and find the first set screw stripped of its thread, barely holding the lip in place. To stretch even farther, twisting the next one to break the rust, turning the last with the tips of your fingers until the white globe drops down smooth and round in your hands. And you see inside a pool of intermingled wings and bodies, so dry it stirs beneath your breath to watch them flutter again across the grass when you climb down and shake them out in the wind. 
it's really a remarkable poem in that it just continuously says to do this, to do this, to do this, right? To balance, to reach out, to stretch, to watch them. This is really the, the heart of the poem is to do these things, is to change the front porch light for Thanksgiving, but is also, in a sense, to maybe offer some kind of resurrection or life to these intermingled wings and bodies, to watch them flutter again across the grass. I think it's really a poem about taking the dead world and reinvigorating it, giving it new life. You have the front porch light, which has gone dark and has burned out and so needs changing. And you also have this pool of intermingled wings and bodies, so dry it stirs beneath your breath. And the one result of changing the light for Thanksgiving is to watch them flutter again across the grass when you climb down and shake them out in the wind. It's a magical moment of sort of reinvesting these dead insects that once flew with the power of flight again. And of course, once again, we have the poet doing something quite ordinary, um, whether it was searching for geodes in a riverbed or the bee man. Well, that was a little extraordinary, I would say, um, bringing the bees down from this hive in the apple tree. Here, the poet is taking something dark and illuminating it and taking something dead and giving it new life. So I think that one thing I love about Jared Carter's work is he is really obliquely talking, I think, about the power of poetry in almost all of his poems. I think I can go on a out on a limb and say that, that there's a sense in his work that he is celebrating the power of poetry through poetry itself. This is not always an easy task or a safe task. He says at the beginning of this poem, changing the front porch light for Thanksgiving, to balance there again in the early dark, three rungs up on the old stepladder, afraid to go any higher, it wobbles so. And then there's this broken thing, right? There's the screw that was stripped of its thread, and he has to break it off with it having gone rusty until finally having done that work of balancing and breaking the white globe of the bulb drops down smooth and round into his hands and he sees inside these intermingled wings and bodies and then he shakes them out in the wind and they again it seems almost become alive again if only for a moment and if only in the poet's imagination so I think that's all we have time for today. Alas, um, these three poems by the great Indiana poet, Jared Carter. The first poem I read is called Geodes. The second, Landing the Bees. And finally, Changing the Front Porch Light for Thanksgiving. I wanna thank you all for spending your Friday morning with me and Jared Carter around Poets Table. You're listening to WDRT out of Viroqua. And we're going to leave Jerry Carter and poetry behind for now, but we'll be back in touch next Friday with the poems of the great American poet W.S. Merwin, a poet 
I love so much I once named a cat after him. Not W.S., but Merwin. <laughs> so I look forward to sitting around Poet's Table with a cup of coffee with you next Friday. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Again, today, it was the poet, Jared Carter. I do hope you'll seek out his work. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.